For those who are guests this morning, um, our service is a lot different today than it normally is. A little more acoustic, a little more quieter. Normally we have where the baptistry is. If you come back next week, you'll see drums there and a whole, whole band up here. But uh, occasionally when we have baptisms, we try to do a little more acoustic, a little quieter. And also there's just not room on the stage for everything. So that's part of the deal as well. Um, glad you're here this morning. And we were in a process and last, started last week a new series called Famous Last Words. And the deal is this, um, one of my favorite parts of Scripture is the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, one of my favorite parts of the Gospel of John is actually chapters 13 through 17, where Jesus actually sits down and in his last, uh, last opportunity before he goes to the cross, he talks to his disciples, his closest friends, about this whole thing about what's most important. And I asked you this question last week, I said, if you knew that you only had a few hours to live, a few, maybe a day or two to live, And you had the opportunity to sit down with your closest friends, your family. What is it you would say to them? What kind of things would you leave as lasting instructions to your kids, uh, to your spouse, to the people that are closest to you? Well, Jesus had this opportunity. And so we we gather and we get to understand from from his words in John 13, 14, 15, and 16 particularly, uh, that the words that Jesus shared with and the things that were most important upon his heart to share with his closest friends. These are the same guys that he had spent the last three years of his life investing in, the last three years of his life discipling. They had traveled with him. They had seen with, with everything he did. They understood all these things. But here Jesus gives some last instructions to them. And last week we talked about the first part of chapter 13. Is he talked about The first thing he talked about of all things he could talk about is that if you want to be a, live the kind of life that's really going to, it's going to be abundant, it's going to be full of joy, it's going to have all kind of good stuff happening to it, number one thing is you've got to learn how to be a good servant. And so we talked about that. Today we talk about the last part of chapter 13 of John, and we're going to kind of look at uh, something today that's that's really, in a sense, is by definition uh, something that probably all of us know, but also uh, in familiarity, but it's something that so often is is a topic that sometimes people have a limited view on. And um, and it's really what today we're going to focus upon is some verses that are kind of in the middle of this passage, John chapter 13, verses 18 to 38. Then we're going to go back on both sides of it and talk about some illustrations that are there as well. So we're going to be talking about loving one another. That's what Jesus talks about here. And so let me ask you a question this morning. As you think of the word or define the word love, what do you think, what do you think of when you think of love? I think our world has a limited view of that. I mean, for instance, there's lots of people that talk about it, uh, talk about love. love is, uh, Carl Menninger says that love is the medicine for our sick world. Uh, Gandhi said that a coward is incapable of exhibiting love. So obviously he has a different definition of love than most people do. Um, The Beatles, you remember what they said about love? All you need is love. That's right. You know, how many songs are there out there that have the word love in it? I tell you what, just to, just to have fun this morning, since you, this is the only time you get to talk, uh, turn to your neighbor right now and name at least one song that you know of that has the word love in it. You've got 15 seconds. Well, you do as many as you can in 15 seconds. Okay, go right now. Uh, this is the way to talk to somebody. Song titles that have the word love in it. You still have five seconds. Man, y'all ran out of song titles with the word love in it? Okay. Okay, that's enough. Shout out some of the song titles with the word love in it. Gimme, gimme some lovin'. Okay. Kind of. Okay, what else? 
Love stinks, okay. That's a different version of <laughs> love stinks, okay, okay. What else? Anything else it's, that's appropriate for church? What? Love will keep us together, okay? Okay. I can't hear back there. Love is a mini splendor thing, okay. What? Jesus loves me. Love me tender. Some of you are talking about you're showing your age now, you know? So, uh, so the deal. You remember the dumb song, Muskrat Love? Somebody said that. I heard that a while ago. I'm going like, what? You know, that's a really strange song. Anyway, there's all these songs with love, and, and you know, it's all these different definitions. You know, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it, you know? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, we have all these definitions. Now, today we're going to look at the ver- verses, some verses in the middle of this passage as the highlight of the verse, because I think it's the, probably the verses that we know the most in this passage. And we're going to begin, if you have your Bible, if you have your iPad, if you have your Android, you have whatever it is that you want to read Scripture on, Turn to chapter 13 and go to verse 34 is where we're going to start today. And Jesus said this in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And let's stop there. Hadn't Jesus said this before? Hadn't Jesus said love one another before? He said it, where else? Where where else has he talked about loving one another? And if you don't know anything else about scripture, what's called the great commandment? Okay, what did he say there? We can talk today, okay, by the way. I can't talk as well as I normally do, so you get to talk some, okay? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He'd already told us to love one another, right? So what is this? He says this, but love, he says, a new command, though, a new command I give you. As I, and then he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is the new thing about this commandment? Back, back in the great commandment, he said to us, he, he said, to us, uh, he said uh, love your neighbor as, as how? As yourself. You know, it's kind of talking about self-love. We need to love our neighbors ourselves, love God. But he gives a new kind of uh, matrix to talk about here in regard to love. And the new commandment gives us what I call the as-I principle, the as-I principle. The as-I principle talks about a new quality of love. He says, love each other, how? As I have loved you. It's a different standard. It's a different way to love that no one had seen before. Because when we look in Scripture, we see over and over again, and I'll just pull out a couple of verses. In John 15, 9, John says, I have loved you. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So live within my love. And then in John 15, 10, he says, When you obey me, you are living in my love, just as I obey my Father and live in his love. He's saying that we're not just to be containers of love, but we're to be conduits, channels of love, where we express God's love to other people um, through, through he, we see it, see it through us. And so what I want to talk about just briefly this morning is I want to focus on these verses just briefly. And then what I want to do is go to the verses right before this in 13 and right after this in 13 and talk about three examples that we see very quickly this morning, three examples we see of how God, how Jesus loved uh, three people, that we, 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 three of his disciples, and how they responded to his love and how, what that means for us. Now, one of the things we see in Scripture is that uh, we co- constantly see what, he, what we call as-I principles, as-I principles. Uh, as-I principles are throughout all of Scripture uh, in the New Testament. And we're, for instance, it says we are to be holy 
Jesus says, as I am holy. So there's those principles throughout Scripture. Now there's four particularly principles in Scripture that, in a sense, are marks of love. They talk about, they really deal with this, what it means to live, to love as Jesus loved. And that's the standard now that he's talking about here. Uh, it, it says in 1 John 2, 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him, to live in Christ, to be a follower of Christ, must walk as Jesus did. Could it be any clearer than that? It's not saying being a Christian is just something, something you do by showing up at church on Sunday morning. It's just saying that being a follower of Christ, is whoever claims to live in him, to, to be a follower of Christ, all these young people that were baptized, their claim is, I am, my purpose from this point forward is to walk as Jesus did. And so we need to understand how he loved and if we're going to walk as Jesus did. So let me give you four quick things this morning that, um, that kind of point this out. Four uh, as I statements, four things that kind of come out of this about, to show us a little bit about Jesus and his love. The first one is this. We fellowship with one another as Jesus fellowships with his Father. And it says that, it says that in uh, 1 John 1, 7, it says, But if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ does, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. Now, it's talking about here that the kind of love relationship, the kind of relationship we have with one another, because if, if we're going to live out of Christ's love and love that way, then it's going to have, we're having a whole new type of relationship. There's a whole new closeness and a, and a whole new honesty and freedom and lack of fear. Let me, let me just say this to all of you who are in small groups, okay? And if you're not in a small group, you need to be in a small group, okay? The reason for that is because we need to have relationships, and the purpose of small groups is not just Bible study. That's an important part of, of, of small groups, but it's not just studying the Bible together. It's about having relationships with people in a sense where you have a closeness and an honesty and freedom to share. I will tell you this, I've been in small groups that did a great job of that, and I've been in small groups that did a horrible job of that. Currently, I'm in a small group on Saturday morning with a bunch of guys. We had 15 guys meet here at 6.30 a.m. every Saturday morning. Can you believe that? What a bunch of idiots. You know, coming here at 6, no, we love it. It's just, we're all morning people. We kind of get here, we're nobody, everybody drinks, we have a lot of coffee. You know, and we do our thing. But the cool thing about that group is that, and especially recently, the, one of the things that's happening is that we have a closeness and, a, and an honesty and a freedom and a lack of fear in regard to sharing our lives. Nobody in there is, you know, nobody comes in there and goes like, yeah, man, my life is great, perfect, you know, everything's just really cool with me. I, you know, it's nobody, because we all know that would be a lie. Because we're all messed up, me included. And so one of the things that happens is when you have this, this kind of love and you live out of the love that Christ lived, uh, as, I have, as I have loved, we fellowship with one another as Jesus fellowships with his Father. Jesus has that kind of relationship with his Father where nothing is a secret. Everything is open. Now that doesn't happen. We don't expect you to get up here and share everything on, on Sunday morning right here, okay? But there needs to be a small group of people that you become acquainted with in such a way that it's not just getting together and studying the Bible together. That's a great start. But it needs to be a place where you live life together. And that's the first thing that we see in regards to uh, uh, this kind of love that God has and, and the effects of it. The second thing that I saw in Scripture as well, another as I thing, a uh, thing that Jesus loving as Jesus loves, is we forgive one another as he forgives us. In Ephesians 4, it says this, Forgiving one another just as Christ, God in Christ also 
forgave you. I can't forgive you, and you can't forgive me without the power of Christ's love in our lives. We just don't have that ability. We can forgive one another on a, on a, on a very superficial basis, but we can't, uh, th- we can't do it without Christ's love. And when Christ's love, the way he loves, is different than the love that the world talks about because the love the world talks about so often is this world where, is this love where it's, it's kind of a, a give and take kind of love. If you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. But obviously, obviously, God loves us deeper than that, right? His love is not just about how he feels about you. And we'll talk about that in some examples in a minute here. It's about he's made a commitment to you to love, to love us in a way regardless of how he feels about us. And so we can forgive one another as he forgives us. Another, a third thing that he, it is, uh, to see in Scripture, it says this, is when we live in this love that Christ has as well, we accept one another as he accepts us. It says in Romans 15, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So often we think that relationships, uh, uh, we need to understand that relationships are based on acceptance. I have to accept, you have to accept me for a relationship to happen. Most people think that relationships are based on similarity. On similarity. The great plan of God is that you can bring different people together, people from different backgrounds, and you can have, and you can love each other based on acceptance. I mean, how many of you married a person exactly like you? I don't see any hands raised right now. Obviously, God did something in your life where if you love the other person, they accepted you even though you're different. And then you know something about marriage as well? You start learning this as well. Is you start learning, you know, I tell everybody when, when I do premarital counseling, I said, hey, you know what this, that marriage license is? It's a learner's permit. That's what it is. It's a learner's permit. It's just, a t- that's what we called them in Virginia. When, I don't know what we call them here. In, you know, in Virginia, we called it when you got your driver's license before you could really drive, it was a learner's permit. You know, it's kind of learning how to do it so you can really do a little bit better job. In marriage, the thing is, is we think that we married a person and then we really learn what the other person is like, Right? And one of the problems sometimes is as we start going like, well, you know, it's not exactly what I bought into. But if we love like Christ love, which we were supposed to, then we accept person anyway. And they accept us because maybe they didn't buy into it either. So we accept one another as he accepts us. That's another outtake of, of the love that we, when we love as Christ loves. And a fourth thing I see in Scripture as well is this. We sacrifice for one another as he sacrificed for us. It says in 1 John, this is, I mean, you know something here? All these, most, all these passages come from a guy named John, who wrote the Gospel of John in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and wrote Revelation, he wrote all these different things. It says, he says this, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. It says that one of the things that the outcomes of living the kind of, in the kind of love that Christ loves, uh, loving as Christ loves, is that we will sacrifice for one another. And let me give you the best example of that in Scripture that talks about, once again, marriage relationships. In Ephesians 5.25, it says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and did what? 
and gave himself up for her. What does that sound like? That doesn't sound like, well, man, if you just do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's, not, that's what the world will say. But no, that's what, what it's saying here is that, husbands, you're to love your wife. And that's one of the things we need to understand. You're to love your wife as if she was like, the church, like what Christ did. And what did Christ do for the church? The church is people, right? What did he do for the church? He died upon a cross and sacrificed his life. That's the kind of sacrifice that you have to be willing to give. That's the kind of love that Christ wants us to have. Now, right in the middle, that's, this, this passage about love, is, this new command is, is the highlight of this passage here, verses 18 through 38. But that's right in the middle of it. Having looked at those, those this, this verse is in the middle, this new commandment to love, I want to go either way here and just talk about three examples real quickly this morning. Three examples of people that God, Jesus encountered and how he loved them and what it means for us. The first one is back in the very first part of this in verse 18 of chapter 13 there. And the first guy we encounter is a guy that we're all familiar with. His name is Judas. Judas, you know? Isn't, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you love to be, how many named your kids Judas? Nobody names their kids Judas hardly anymore because of the connotations, right? And I mean, Judas is not a bad name, but the problem is the connotations in Scripture. He was the one who betrayed Christ, and so we don't do that. And, and it, so it says here in John, 18, uh, John 13, 18, it says, I'm not, Jesus had been talking, and, and he's at the table, and we talked about this last week, and he'd, he'd washed their feet, and, and he was getting ready to, to uh, do the Lord's Supper with them. And he says, I am not referring to all of you when he's talking about the people that are around here. He says, I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shares my bread has turned against me. And then at this point in the passage, for the next few verses, he talks about some really brutal things. I shared with you last week, if you were here, this meal, the, the Lord's Supper. And, G, and John doesn't really talk about the Lord's Supper hardly at all here at all, really. I mean, all the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all talk about the Lord's Supper because this is what was happening in the context of this Passover meal. But John talks about all this conversation that was going on here. And in a sense, we talked about this last week, the entire meal, the entire Lord's Supper, which we partook of last week, uh, was an appeal to Judas. First of all, he washed his feet. One of the people that Jesus washed the feet off uh, before the meal was Judas. He knew what Judas was about to do, but he washed his feet anyway. The second thing we saw was that he see, Jesus, uh, he said, uh, Judas was seated just to the left of Jesus, which was in a position of honor. To his left and right was the two positions of honor. John, his beloved disciple, was on his right. Uh, Judas was on his left. And then another thing we saw when we read last week's scripture as well was he gave, gave him the bread uh, dipped into a bowl in that day and gave it directly to him. And one of the things that was a sign of friendship. So all these things were appealing to Judas in a sense. And then verse, let me just read a few verses here and then comment on them. It says in verse 21, it says, after he had said this, after Jesus said, about, uh, said these things in verse, uh, that uh, he who shared my bread has turned against me. He says, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And he testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Now listen to what he says here in just a minute, because I want you to get how dense the disciples were. Okay, because they just don't get anything, obviously. He said, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to, wit to know which of them he meant. So he goes on. 
One of them, the disciple who Jesus loved, his name is John, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Hey, hey, ask him which one he means. I mean, that's Peter. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? John asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Then, what does he do? Then dipping it, the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. And here we see in Scripture one of the most horrible things that can possibly happen is that the, the, the Bible says that Satan entered into the heart of Judas uh, at that point. Judas, in a sense, Christ, Christ was loving him. He'd accepted him. He'd washed his feet. He had let him walk side by side with him for three years. He, he, he'd appealed to him in every way possible. But what did G, uh, Judas do with Jesus' love? Judas rejected the love of Jesus. Judas rejected the love of Jesus. That's how he responded to the love of Jesus. And the sad thing is that so often people, that even though God loves us and he expresses to us in so many ways that he loves us, so often we reject the love of Jesus. Remember that Judas had walked out of that room with clean feet, washed by the love of Jesus Christ. He walked out of that room with a morsel in his stomach because of the love of Jesus. So he chose to reject the love of Christ. He was a traitor. And then the Bible says in verse 28 this, it says, After all that, now keep this in mind, no one at the table understood why Jesus had said this to him. Don't they get it? I mean, he just, he just said, this guy's going to betray me. John, ask him who it is. He said, the one who dipped but no, nobody gets it. And then it gives us an explanation. It kind of like uh, gives us an explanation. I wonder if John wrote this because he was trying to make sure that all the other disciples didn't look quite so bad. Because in verse 29 he says, since Judas had, the reason this was true is that since Judas had, had charge of the money, he was a trusted person. He was the treasurer of the disciples. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Why didn't everybody understand it was Judas? Because they, they were blinded to the fact that they trusted him. He was responsible. They thought he was being compassionate. They didn't want to think of somebody, one of their own, who could betray and turn away from the love of Jesus that they had all embraced and all understood. How did Jesus love Judas then? In spite of the fact of who he was, Jesus accepted him. He accepted him. Now, I have to under, define what that means. What is acceptance? Acceptance is, is this. While seeing exactly who he was, Jesus continued to love him for who he could be. That's what acceptance is. And I need to express to you this. There's a, that's acceptance. There is a huge difference, though, between acceptance and approval. A huge chasm. There are some people whose lifestyle you don't approve of. There are some people who, because of their lifestyle, you're not going to be get involved with in regard to certain things, but you still can accept them as people created in the image of God. People who have potential to be, who are loved by God and who still need God. If Jesus was able to accept and love Judas, a guy that he knew was going to betray him, is there anyone in this world that we can't accept and love? 
See, don't take it to the point of some kind of sticky sentimentality where it doesn't matter what people do because it does matter what people do. It mattered to Jesus about what Judas was going to do. But in spite of that, he chose to accept him and love him while he still didn't approve of what he did. That's the kind of love God wants us to have. Real love says, I see you for who you are, and I'm not going to lie about that, but I'm still going to love you for who you can be. That's how we see the the example there of Judas. And then the next guy in Scripture, right after this passage, or actually before and after what we looked at earlier about the new commandment, in John 13, 33, we, we encounter a second guy. His name is Peter. And we all know who Peter is, I think, probably because Peter is probably the most obvious person in Scripture that, um, that so often that people understand other than Paul because of he was so vocal. In verse 33, uh, after this, this episode with Judas, and it says this, Jesus says, My children, I will only be with you for a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am, you cannot come. Now, keep that in mind because the very next verse is the verse we started with, verse 34 and 35. Which is what? A new commandment. And then Jesus says the thing that's most important here in Scripture. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And then for some strange reason, Peter decides to ask a bizarre question. Okay, what's most important that Jesus just said? Let's take a test. The new commandment, right, about loving one another. That's the most important thing that Jesus said to them. He said, a new commandment I give you. And right before that, he says something about, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go somewhere you can't go. So Simon Peter, instead of just embracing the fact that Jesus says, I just want you to love as I have loved, what does Simon Peter does in verse 36? He says, Lord, where are you going? Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, you will really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Compare verse 33 and 36. Verse 33 says, you know, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to this place. And then he gives the greatest commandment, uh, probably, you know, a commandment that's even greater than the great commandment because he tells us how to really love, not just love our neighbor as ourselves, but to love each other as he has loved us. And then in verse 36, Peter totally misses it. Why do you think Peter, he wasn't listening. You ever have kids that do that? You tell them something, and you tell them something, and you tell them, or maybe it's your spouse, okay? Don't look at them. I've seen several just look over your spouse just then, you know. You know, like your spouse, you tell them something. My wife has always said, you're not listening. She knows if you want, she wants me to listen, she has to grab me by the face and, you know, get my attention. Sometimes, you know, we can say something important and, our, and the person in the room just don't get it. And that's kind of Peter here. Jesus says something that caught his attention, you know, it's like, I don't know if he's just like, you know, a little ADD or something, you know, the, what the deal is, but he's kind of like, okay, let's talk about where are you going, where are you going? He couldn't even think about it. He totally missed out. He missed out on the love of Jesus. That's what Peter did. Because he wasn't focused, he wasn't really attentive to what was going on. And for each of you today here, I'm not as concerned about, uh, nearly as concerned about you rejecting the love of Christ like Judas is, as I am concerned about you missing out on the love of Jesus because you're so busy 
You never spend time. We don't, and me included, to see God at work around us all the time. And because of that, we can miss out on the love of Jesus because we have we live in this culture where everything is like a, this frantic, insane pace. And we never reflect upon life, and we don't spend the time doing the things that we need to be doing, and, and we can miss out on the, the love of Jesus. How did Jesus love Peter? How did Jesus love Peter? Um, how he did it? Go a couple, couple slides over. He forgave him. Because Peter needed forgiveness. He forgave him for all the times he misspoke with his disciples. He forgave him for all missing, missing the new commandment. He forgave him for disowning him three times. The Bible tells us later that, that, uh, that he had personal, Jesus had a personal meeting with Peter. And we're going to find out later that he gives Peter the chance to say, I love you three times um, to overcome his, some of his past. Let me give you a definition of forgiveness that we see in Jesus' life. This is how it re responded in regard to Peter. He says, while knowing what Peter would do, he loved him anyway. That's what forgiveness is. Not saying you have to be perfect. Not saying everything's going to be right. Uh, folks, one of the struggles that we often have is we expect people to do more than actually we do ourselves. I mean, none of us say, think that we're perfect. Anybody here think you're perfect? I'll have my hand up. Okay, by the way. Nobody thinks you're perfect, but so often when people don't respond the way, and we know their expectations, they're not going to respond the way that the way should, so often we just, we just write them off. And the forgiveness that God, that Jesus has for, for Peter is, he knew that Peter would probably stick his foot in his mouth again. How many of you think that your spouse is going to be perfect from this day forward? How many of you think your kids are going to be perfect from this day forward? No. You've got to choose, though, to do what? To love them anyway. And out of that love to, to, to say, hey, I'm going to forgive you anyway. Forgiveness is loving them as, they have ne as if they had never, if anything had never happened. See, remember this. Remember this. This is where culture gets confused. Love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Not the kind of love we're talking about here. There are feelings in love, yes. But love is a commitment. It's a direction towards someone. And we're glad it's true because if Jesus had basically acted upon, his love was basically, basically uh, in regards to how he felt about the disciples, how would we respond to Judas? How would we respond to Peter? How would we respond to us? So you're not going to feel towards them toward a person as you used to feel if they've done something to you. But you can love them because love is a commitment and a direction and that's the way that Jesus loves and that's how we're to love. Jesus says, love as I have loved. And then I want to close by this talking about just for a minute, just about one guy that's not mentioned directly here, but we know all about him because he was sitting right next to Jesus on his right-hand side. His name is John. John was there. The Bible says he was the one, the, the apostle that Jesus loved. He's the one sitting right next to Jesus. And, um, and when, he, when he heard the words, a new command I give to you, it must have stuck. And let me tell you why. 
Because if you read in Scripture a little bit about the background of John and his brother James, you know what their nickname was in, in Scripture? They're called the Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. You know why? Because they always argued about everything. They, 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 were, they were always mad at somebody. I mean, it gives us an example of Scripture over in Luke chapter 9 where the, a certain Samaritan town had rejected Jesus. And you know what their response was, James and John? They said, hey, this is what it says. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? That was their response. Okay? Okay, that's how they were. But we know in Scripture that John, while, the, while Judas rejected the love of Jesus and while Peter just missed out on the love of Jesus because he was so busy, John was transformed by the love of Jesus. Let me tell you how I know that, and you can know that as well. Because when he heard those words, when he heard those words, they became the theme of John's life. Love one another as I have loved you. Because, you know, later in life, this, this son of thunder became to be known as the apostle of love. And the reason is because he talks about love more than anybody else in Scripture in such a short period of time. In just a few chapters. And in 1 John 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. And he says this over and over and over and over and over again. 33 times uh, he talks about um, love one another. And when he heard Jesus say, love each other as I have loved you, he caught it and it transformed him. Now I challenge you to think about it. How have you responded to Christ's love? How do you love? Have you rejected Christ's love like Judas I doubt many people here have totally done that. Have you missed out on Christ's love because you're busy and you're not paying attention? Like Peter. Probably more more of us have done that. Or can you say that my life has been transformed by the love of Jesus? And I love in a different way than I've ever loved. And it's not because of me, it's because of Christ living in me. That's the step that God wants us to get to. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we will learn to love as Christ loved. Because that's the only way that we can live the abundant life that he wants us to live. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day and the many blessings you give to us. We pray that you would enable us this day, God, to, in a real sense to understand this scripture and how important it is. It's the definition in a real sense of the love that we're to live. And, and it also gives us illustrations in here about how, how you loved specific people. How Jesus loved Judas, even in spite of the fact that he rejected Jesus Christ. How Peter, how uh, Jesus loved Peter, even though Peter was inattentive and missed out so often. And eventually, though, he, he kind of caught it as well. And he became a, somebody who lived a truly abundant life of being used by you, God, in tremendous ways as one of the early leaders of the church. 
And I'm glad, God, that sometimes there are certain people like John that, that had a background that really wasn't one of love, but one of, of anger and problems. And, and, and because of him listening and being attentive and letting you uh, embrace his life at that point, that he became being known as the apostle of love, the person who, who talked more than almost anybody in Scripture about the importance of loving as Christ loved. Guide us this morning, God, as we go from this place that we would, each one of us, examine our own hearts, our own minds, to ask the question, how do we love? Do we love according to the, uh, the songs, the silly songs that we mentioned earlier? Is that our definition of love? And is that how we love? Or do we love as Christ loved? Which means, God, that we love in a different way. Thank you, God, that we can live the abundant life, the life that's 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 just free of, of, not free of difficulty, but free of the pain of that difficulty if we truly learn to let, live life in such a way that we follow your plan for our lives, God. Guide us this morning, God. I thank you for the ones that committed themselves to you through baptism as a next step. If there's somebody here this morning, God, that needs to take that next step, that they would be bold enough to write down on a card or talk to someone about that, wherever they need to be, God. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. The fact that you love us, in spite of who we are, in spite of the fact that so often we're inattentive. Thank you, God, for that love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.